Poland, uh, things that come to mind, not a whole lot, no. <laughs> Poland, probably not a whole lot. Uh, Polish sausage. No, I don't know anything about that country. Poland, sausages, <laughs> pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast. Hi, this is Mogorzata Bonikowska, your host, and you're listening to episode 86 of Polcast, recorded and produced by me in Toronto. You have just heard the anthem of Ukraine. Well, in memory of all those who lost their lives in the cities and towns of Poland's neighboring country, Ukraine. Not just soldiers, but women, children, and the elderly, killed by a ruthless aggressor, Putin's Russia. It's hard to believe that merely two and a half weeks ago, we lived in a relatively normal world, in times that have been tough for over two pandemic years, but in peace. And few people expected then that so soon our world would change beyond recognition. And then February the 24th came and brought the end to what we all believed in, that in our lifetime, we would not see another war in Europe. Today, Ukrainians are fighting their heroic war, determined to defend their country. We watch it with pain and tears in real time, horrified by the brutality and terror of this war, but also full of awe and admiration for those invincible fighters. I would like you to listen to a very special song by Ukrainian artist Andriy Klivnyuk and the Kifnes group. Andriy says, The response to this song has been incredible. In just one day, the song has accrued over $7,000 in royalties from Facebook, Bandcamp, and YouTube. It gives me great pleasure to give all that back to Ukrainians' aid. On YouTube, in just 10 days, the song has been listened to by over 2 million people. And over 11,000 people have commented on it. Here is one of those comments. This is a Ukrainian folk Cossack song, now also one of the military marches of the Ukrainian army. Every Ukrainian has known and sung it since childhood. Listen to this beautiful song. <laughs> Oh, 
This brutal war in which the Russians commit war crimes by targeting civilians, women, children, the elderly, as well as hospitals, schools, and residential areas, has caused an unprecedented exodus. Over 2.5 million Ukrainian women and children mostly have fled the country, having crossed the Ukrainian borders with neighboring countries Romania, Hungary, Slovakia, Moldova, but most of all Poland, where the number has reached 1.7 million and is growing every day. The reaction of Poles has been beyond amazing. Poles have all come together, offering their homes to the refugees, feeding them, giving them shelter and all they may need, organizing enormous help of all kinds, volunteering to transport refugees from the border to safe locations all over Poland and going back to the border with supplies for the fighters in Ukraine. Nobody has ever seen such an incredible outpour of hospitality and mobilization of grassroots efforts. And all this on top of mass protests, donations, arranging facilities and activities for kids, bringing clothes, meds, food, organizing into these support networks, communicating on social media 24-7. Now we can see what we have always known about Poles. They're truly amazing when times are tough, uniting and opening their hearts 100% when their help is needed. One of such people is Adam. He belongs to a group which formed spontaneously and is now working non-stop, focusing on helping Ukrainian refugees, but also bringing whatever is necessary to the border for Ukrainians fighting for their country. I talked to you in Polish like two days ago. Today we're speaking in English, and this is day 11 of the war. Um, can you tell us about how you got involved in the group helping the Ukrainian refugees? Actually, when I trying to recall how how it began, it was uh, 24th of, uh, of February, uh, the day when the war started, and uh, most of people that uh, that joined the group uh, uh, were attending the same same party in Warsaw. Uh, but actually, we haven't even spoken about it together. And two days uh, after, uh, on Saturday, 26. One of uh, our friends from Lviv sent us a message that, that they, uh, they are uh, leaving Ukraine. They are standing in a huge line on the border and looking uh, for an apartment or a place to stay in, in Poland uh, after they managed to, uh, to get in Poland. And then, you know, we, we just, it, it wasn't even you know, too much emotional. I didn't do anything special. I just asked one of my friends who, uh, who has uh, better networking abilities uh, to provide a, uh, the, the kind of request on his social profile, and he did. And uh, what happened is uh, that uh, we uh, located not only the family that uh, asked as a first for the help, but we received offers on 50, 60 apartments uh, from people who wanted to help. So uh, we decided with this colleague, with this friend, to uh, to set up a, a group and uh, somehow use uh, this potential that, that we built within like two days. So then this is how it started. That's how it started. It's developed into something quite amazing. How many, how many refugees have you already been able to find uh, accommodation for? You know, that, I, I don't think that Anyone is counting it, counting these people, counting money that we uh, we managed to uh, to raise. Uh, you know, shopping that have been done. So uh, I don't know, maybe uh, 100, 150, maybe more. But the numbers are huge, though. I yeah. mean, it started with Oksana, who was that first Ukrainian woman you helped. Now, I know that you are not just involved in arranging accommodation, but you also drive to the border you do you kind of go like a shuttle right is that how how that works yeah yeah because at, at the very beginning we, we tried to match uh people who uh, who are owners of uh of apartments with uh, with families who are looking for a uh, uh, for a place to stay and uh you know that this uh showed me that that uh, it's not so easy so i decided to rent a uh rent a shuttle and uh, just uh went there 
that's that's how it happened. But uh, still, in the meantime, we were doing all this stuff. So me and my friends and uh, all these people within this group are probably doing the same. Most of us uh, are doing all, or some of us are uh, coordinating, some of us are driving, some of us are uh, raising funds. So uh, uh, there is a pattern. Uh, in this chaos, but <laughs> it's still it's still a chaos. Right. So, how many times have you been to the Ukrainian-Polish border? Yes, for me it was only twice. Uh, I live on the west side of Poland, so it takes a little bit to to get there and uh, get back. I was able to help ten ten people, mothers with kids, going from the border to uh, to their safe shelters. Tell me about the situation at the border. What's the atmosphere there? Are people in panic? How do they behave? The, the climate there is depressing. I, I don't see any panic, but but there was a chaos, especially at the beginning. Uh, now it's getting more and more organized. And public services, volunteers, uh, hundreds of hundreds of people around there are helping these people to. Uh, get warm, uh, get feed, and uh, and transfer them to uh, to, to shelters. So uh, right now you, you can't see the panic there, but a lot of people working on uh, protecting these people and uh, providing them a safe place to stay. Some people drive, yeah. some people come on foot. And I was looking at those long lines of cars. My question was: Are these cars completely full? Can they not just take those people who are walking? I guess that most are completely full. Some of them are just lifting people to the border and get back for other people to leave or Kiev or Kharkov, uh, whatever it is. So, so these cars are full. Uh, today we heard that there are like 100,000 uh, citizens of Lviv aiming to travel to Poland That's just, just today. So uh, these numbers are huge. We already have about a million, right, who have crossed the Polish border, I believe. Now, when you came to the border the first time, like, did you just pick up somebody who was looking for a place? How did how did this happen? How was that organized? My first, let's say, mission was already well organized. Uh, there are some coordinators that are helping people to match, and uh, it's it's very important for us to uh, to drive there and have dedicated people to pick up, not uh, random people, because uh, women and uh, children staying there are quite afraid of uh, who will they meet. At the very beginning, it was a random pickup, and uh, at the third, fourth day, it was already organized somehow, and and um, uh, what we are trying to do is to match with people before we, we go there, so, so that uh, the people there are uh, inform who will come. Uh, we're sending photos, IDs, car plates, uh, just to ensure that they are uh, safe and protected. Your group came up with this um, set of rules or maybe tips for women in three languages, Polish, Ukrainian, and, and English, which really means that this may be dangerous for them. This, uh, this set of rules is uh, Actually provided by the uh, special organization, uh, which is dealing with uh, uh, counteracting slavery. We have contacted them uh, at the beginning, uh, alarm signaling that uh, there are some suspicious uh, events at the border uh, that might be dangerous uh, for women. Uh, we are pleased today to hear that uh, uh, it is now really rare or uh, unlikely to happen because the system uh, is getting uh, uh, tighter and tighter. So uh, what I heard yesterday, um, there are uh, new verification procedures at the border uh, at the moment, uh, which require the drivers to be verified and uh, uh, checked uh, in the criminal records database before uh, families are uh, being handed over uh, to the drivers. So this is very good. So it was worth, uh, you know, shouting about it at the very beginning, in the, even if it was not too popular in terms of uh, public opinion.
when we spoke in Polish, you said something really interesting. You compared this uh, situation to the other refugee crises we've had before. You said this is very different. Can you say in what way? Is it different in your opinion? This is very different because Ukraine is organizing defense uh, in a legal way. It means that the people, their soldiers are fighting because they want to and because uh, uh, it is based on the martial law introduced there. So 90% of men probably are uh, going to, to join the army, uh, apart from the people who are you know, uh, children or uh, above 60 years old. Uh, so most refugees are women and children. And uh, uh, this is very different from what we uh, have been seeing, uh, in, I don't know, on, on the Mexican border, in, uh, in France, Italy, during the, the Syrian crisis or Iraqi crisis. And what is very, very symptomatic is that uh, you will not see any refugee camp on the Polish border. Where are these people? They are, they are in our houses our apartments. They are literally everywhere in Poland. So uh, this is uh, how I see this uh, this refugee crisis different than, than the others. As these people are spreading all over Poland and all other European countries instead of being located in uh, refugee camps. How do they feel? Do they believe that they will come back? Do they believe that they will see their husbands, um, sons again? Or do you feel despair? Yeah, hope so. The, the last time we spoke, uh, I had much bigger faith uh, that it will happen. Today, you know, the, the, the news are, are not too optimistic. I haven't heard from them uh, that, that uh, it will end in a positive way. However, uh, most of them were saying, most women were saying that they are here just for a moment and they are aiming to get back as possible without optimism, but uh, with plans to go back as soon as possible. We do admire the fighters. We admire the president, the minister of foreign affairs of Ukraine, and each single Ukrainian who fights. But these women are also amazing. Yeah, these, these women are, are tough, uh, are very proud. You know, they, they don't want to accept any funds, uh, food, clothes, nothing. They, they just uh, refusing to get it. They are crying, but they are so so tough. So can imagine if they have women like that, how tough their soldiers are. So Putin cannot win this war in the long term. He can take possession of the territory at, the, at this point, but uh, not for a long time, I guess, or maybe for a long time, but uh, uh, they will not accept it. What do you bring to the border? Because when you go back, right, when you go back to the border, you have your your van or your vehicle full of things. How do you know what to bring? There is a must-have list of supplies that uh, are needed on the border. It is usually notified on the support group on Facebook and other social media. So you have to trace it in real time uh, in order to not bring something useless in this location. And uh, this, is how, this is how it works. And it is everything. You know, it's gasoline, bulletproof shields, boots, uh, socks for soldiers, medicines for children. Yeah, whatever is uh, needed and whatever is uh, notified by uh, by volunteers uh, who are uh, on the ground there and looking at this. Can you just say how that has changed your life? You probably don't have too much time to work. Yeah, I, I, I don't. From the you know, business perspective, it would be a disaster if uh, my colleagues uh, didn't uh, got my back uh, there in the, in the office, in my law firm. So I'm very grateful. For, for my colleagues uh, in my company that they are you know, trying to help and they are uh, avoiding me to, to uh, declare bankruptcy. <laughs> and the same with the family. My, my wife uh, is really helpful and devoted to, to support me. So, yeah, this is uh, how it changes our life. I think that everyone in the group uh, is now doing nothing else than uh, chatting, um, Making calls, coordinating, you know, fixing things, and and like that. I, there is a joke that appeared on the social media today that uh, if you ask volunteer to uh, to deliver the dinosaur, uh, <laughs> they will bring it. They would bring it in 27 minutes. 
so that, that, that's how it works right now, actually. <laughs> impossible, <laughs> nothing impossible right now. Do you think Poland can cope with this? This is a huge influx. This is unbelievable. I mean, it's still very, very enthusiastic and everything. But at some point, there is some kind of, what do we do? Like, how do we cope? You think Poland will cope? What's the plan? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, we should take advantage of this enthusiasm uh, which we are observing right now because uh, we have to be realistic. Uh, people are uh, living their lives and in the next two or three weeks, uh, this enthusiasm will, will decrease, right? But what uh, how we see, see it is that uh, the public administration will take over, right? So, somehow, of course, uh, we are hoping that still uh, there will be 100 volunteers and people will be still so supportive. However, this chaos uh, addressed by simple, ordinary people, by groups like ours, can work, but not for a long time. It's just absolutely impossible. But public structures, public authorities need to take it over and, and fill the gap, right? Are you seeing that it's being done already or not yet? It's being done. It's being done. I, uh, you know, everyone wants to be uh, better. We are not happy that <laughs> that government takes credit for uh, what people are doing, but uh, it doesn't matter as long as uh, it is going to work and they will take over the, the responsibility for these people who are fleeing from Ukraine to, to Poland. And I, I think they are doing it. They are trying to do it. It's much easier for the smaller like ours to uh, to organize than uh, for. Uh, Know, public administration to, uh, to face these uh, challenges uh, and remember it's 11th day of, of the war it is still very early but we are observing looking at much better organization at the border uh, uh, right now than it was before now the response of polish people i mean it's obviously something that the whole world is talking about as you said there are no refugee camps everybody is hosting these families these mothers with children is that something that surprised you? Yeah, it surprised me. You know, it is totally inspiring. Uh, as I told you, on Thursday, we've been partying uh, with people uh, who are now uh, uh, within the same group of support. And uh, we haven't been thinking about it, uh, that we will be part of a kind of a, a project, let's say, in a corporate language. Uh, uh, nevertheless, I, I I really don't want to build a myth around it because there are there are hundreds of groups like that uh, in Poland who are doing the same or even more totally devoted to to help Ukrainians. So uh, yeah, I I'm really surprised uh, that it uh, goes like that. My thoughts are like you know Polish have uh, really big heart and Ukrainians have big balls. And thank God, at least on the surface, there is no talking about the history, uh, I hope at least. Is that something that you hear or it's completely irrelevant at the present moment? Yeah, I had the conversation with someone this morning about the history of uh, Ukraine and, and, and Polish. We have so complicated history. And you know what? Uh, today we are focused on uh, cooperation, on helping them. Uh, they are uh, really grateful uh, that, that we are doing it. So, yeah, the history is not the case uh, at the moment. When is your next trip? I don't know. Uh, yesterday I was about to, to declare that I'm not going there anymore. But <laughs> but today, after I, I got some sleep, uh, probably I will go there. I need to ask my wife, but probably she will not have anything against it. So, yeah, I'm planning to, to go there again. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the best. And I wish everybody all the best. But I think most of all, I just wish all of us, and especially you guys, peace. Let's hope this ends somehow because it's a horrible, horrible disaster. Thank you so much for all those uh, thoughts and impressions and, and all the information you shared with us. All the best. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Margaret. Poles all over the world are involved in helping Ukrainian sisters and brothers. Here in Toronto, local Toronto bands and artists organized a beautiful fundraising concert in support of Ukraine just two days ago on Friday, March 11th at the Opera House. 
All profits from the concerts will support humanitarian aid in Ukraine and provide urgently requested medical supplies to volunteer medical units. The over four-hour-long concert, attended by over 500 people with over 60 artists on stage, was an idea of two Polish-Canadian singers and musicians, Ala Stasiuk and Ewelina Ferenc from folk group Polki, spelled with a Y. I will let you listen to my interview with Ala and give you a chance to experience some parts of this fantastic event on my next podcast episode. For now, congratulations to the organizers, volunteers, and the artists. And thank you for everyone's generosity. Now, I'd like you to listen to excerpts of my interview with Ivan Baker, a member of Canadian Parliament from Toronto, Canadian politician of Ukrainian origin, chair of the Canada-Ukraine Parliamentary Friendship Group. You're an MP, so you're part of the government, but trying to be really objective. Um, can you try to evaluate the response of uh, Canada to what's going on in Ukraine? I'm genuinely really proud of, of the response. Let me be frank. Canada's been working very carefully and closely with our allies. The most effective response is a unified response, whether it's military assistance or sanctions or diplomatic pressure or whatever the case may be. Um, it really is most effective. It's unified. And, and so I think Canada has taken some very strong actions, but uh, I think the international community has taken some very strong actions. And so I'm, I'm very proud of Canada's response and also Canada's you know, leadership in, um, in encouraging other countries uh, amongst our allies to, uh, to do what they've done thus far. Uh, so that's, that's the first thing I would say. A, a concrete example of this would be um, a few things. One is you know, the military aid that we've provided, there have been two shipments already shipped. Those arrived before the, the invasion began. Um, and I'm not going to call it the invasion. I'm going to call it the further invasion because Russia invaded in 2014. The military aid that Canada's provided to Ukraine for Canada is unprecedented. I don't believe Canada has sent weapons to anybody since World War II. Uh, this is uh, unprecedented. The first two shipments were machine guns, uh, sniper rifles, very useful, very important. We see that now, but to the Ukrainians. But this latest shipment is rockets, it's anti-tank missiles, uh, it's very significant, especially in the Canadian context. And uh, so that's it. The second example is SWIFT. There's been a lot of advocacy to remove Russia from the SWIFT system. Uh, a, a few days ago, the international community removed uh, certain Russian banks from the SWIFT system. And th these, these actions will bite, and they are biting and they will bite. You know, there was a lot of work being done, we know this now, to uh, find consensus among the allies to remove Russia from SWIFT before that decision to remove some of the some of the Russian banks. Before that decision was made, Prime Minister Trudeau came out publicly and said, I support removing Russia from SWIFT. And he continues to say that. It's an example of Canadian leadership trying to urge our allies to do what, what's necessary. And, and, and in fairness, the allies have stepped up and done it. Uh, but there's more, more to be done, and we got to keep doing it. So that's, that's my assessment of the response. In terms of the internal politics, do you see unity? Do you see we're all together in it? One of my colleagues said to me that this has really brought the whole country together. There are many examples of that. We saw uh, demonstrations in communities across Canada, uh, and it was and and those demonstrations weren't just Ukrainian Canadians. They were, of course, Polish Canadians, of course, uh, other Eastern Europeans, Lithuanian, Latvian, Estonian. But there were people from all parts of the world attending these rallies, who, whose origins in, are in all parts of the world. I think that shows you know the degree to which people have been touched by this, not just in Canada but globally. And the other example is last night we had a, a, an emergency take note debate, basically a debate where all the parties agreed that it was it was something that I called for, along with my a number of MP colleagues. We wrote a letter asking for this emergency take note debate. Uh, all parties agreed to this. And if you watch that debate or read some of the transcripts, you will see tremendous unity among all the parties. And and you know one of my colleagues said to me, uh, I've never seen so much unity here in, in the House of Commons uh, before. Um, and so, yes, it's unifying uh, to bring people together. I think everyone, uh, MPs of all parties, all parts of the country are unified behind um, doing what it takes, doing everything possible to, to support uh, Ukraine, uh, to make sure we stop Putin. The circumstances are horrific, but Canadians have come together to support Ukraine during, those, uh, during this time. Tell me about your Ukrainian community. How are you guys coping? What are you doing? It's, how do you feel? It's devastating. Those who have Ukrainian-Canadian heritage 
are touched by this personally uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, some uh, have family, some have friends like I do uh, in Ukraine who are now sitting in bomb shelters and pleading for help. I think many Ukrainian Canadians have parents, grandparents, great grandparents who suffered under uh, various forms of occupation and war and genocide and uh, many risked their lives or, or lost their lives for freedom, for a free Ukraine, for an independent Ukraine. You know, my family is falls in that category. And many, I think, Ukrainian Canadians are descendants of those people. And so I think it's, you know, 30 years ago when Ukraine declared its independence, I think that was a moment that we thought, uh, well, I, I can't speak for everybody in the community, but I can certainly say I thought that the future was was bright. It touches on a personal level because of the humanitarian, what's happening to, to, to civilians, to soldiers. They're dying defending their country, or, or even civilians, innocent civilians and children are dying. Uh, it touches us personally because we know people. It touches us because many of us have fought the battle for Ukraine's independence, or our, our families have, or our generations have. I'm very concerned about what this means for global security. I, I And Canada security, you know, I'm devastated for that reason too. And I think that this is very much a pivotal moment. How we respond to this will be critical, not just for Ukraine's sovereignty and territory, of course, but for all of us. That is another reason why it is so important that the um, international community unite and respond strongly and stop Putin now, because he won't stop here. What are you doing as a community? Like, what is being done? Are you I don't know what kind of help is being organized. I was speaking a moment ago about the protests. I mean, the Ukrainian community has been organizing a number of those protests that you've seen across the country. And, and I would say to those who have come out, I thank you. Um, the community thanks you. And I hope you will continue to come out and support those, those protests. Um, and to those who haven't yet come out, I hope you'll consider coming out uh, and supporting them. There are people from all parts of Canadian life. And this is not about being Ukrainian-Canadian. Uh, this is about um, standing up for democracy and for freedom. You know, we see how courageously the Ukrainian men and women are fighting. Um, civilians are fighting. Ukrainians are going back to their homeland to fight. I said this in the Tegno debate last night. We have to fight for them. And, and that to me means um, coming out to protest, speaking up, speaking with your elected representatives about how you feel. Let them know that they have your support. This is important to you um, and why it's important to you and what you'd like to see the government do. I think that's an important aspect of what democracy is about is is communicating that and uh, and protests are one way to do that social media is another way writing to your mp uh, calling your mp all of that is is important so i think that's what canadians can do to help there are great humanitarian needs and if if people have the desire and the will to support that effort i would urge them to donate to the canada ukraine foundation they've raised tremendous amounts of money already for those who aren't familiar they've run many humanitarian projects in ukraine for many years uh, they're very credible. They're a registered charity. They do excellent work. Um, their overhead is tiny uh, compared to most other charities. So I would strongly urge uh, if people have the will, have the ability to give what you can. Um, and because at the end of the day, there are hundreds of thousands, millions of, of Ukrainians now who are displaced or fleeing to Poland, of course, uh, but also to other neighboring countries and, and that assistance. There's a Russian community in Canada. Yeah. Have have you heard from these people? How do they feel? It must be tough for them too. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to speak for any community, uh, and, and I can't speak for the Russian community. Um, but but we've seen members of the Russian community uh, not only come out to the to the to the protest I was talking about, but help organize some of them. We've seen a lot of support from the Russian community in Canada, and I have to say, I want to make a point of applauding. The Russian people who've spoken out against, who live in Russia, uh, because it takes tremendous courage to do that. We've seen videos of people being arrested the moment they unfurl a sign to stop the war. That takes tremendous courage. And so surely if people in Russia can do that under that kind of pressure and under that kind of threat, um, it's important that we in Canada uh, do so as well. So we've seen, you know, we've seen wonderful support. I've heard from people in the Russian community who who, who don't want the war. The war, the the, the concern, the uh, the actions that have been taken by the Canadian government or within the Ukrainian community or other communities or other Canadians who've spoken out, our argument, our, our anger is not directed at the Russian people. Certainly not the Russian people, the Russian Canadians here, and not even Russians in, in Russia. It's with the Putin regime and the people who support him and who enable him and who enabled this horrific war to take place, uh, this horrific attack on civilians. So like, I want to be really clear about that. There's no issues with 
the Russian people or with Russian Canadians. The issue is with the Putin regime and their attack on, on civilians and on Ukraine and on its democracy. Canadians are united. And I think that if there's one message that I, I hope that I can deliver uh, to, to people, uh, to Canadians on this is that um, this is a threat to all of us. It is a threat to all of us. It's not a Ukrainian issue. It's not a Ukrainian community. It's, it's, a, it's a global security threat. Um, because if Russia succeeds in invading Ukraine, Vladimir Putin's not going to stop there. Then what's next? And of course, you know, Poland and Romania and Hungary and other countries have to be concerned in Eastern Europe, the Baltics. But Russia's our neighbor to the north as well in Canada. And they have tried to claim parts of our Arctic as their own. So you know, we have to we have to be very conscious of the fact that, that this poses a great risk, and that's why I think um, you know I, I keep saying Ukraine security is Europe security and it's Canada security, and um, and that's why it's so important that we uh, stop Putin now and, and support Ukraine. Poland has done quite a lot. Yes. What do you do? You have anything to say to Polish people? Thank you. Thank you. Poland and Polish people have really risen to the to this occasion in a in a in a way that I want to say as a Ukrainian Canadian, I appreciate as, a, as an MP who's concerned about how we support Ukraine, uh, whether it be militarily, whether it be uh, diplomatically, uh, whether it be through sanctions, whether it be through humanitarian aid. I mean, right now, Poland's doing incredible work in welcoming hundreds of thousands of, of Ukrainian refugees, um, feeding them, housing them. I mean, it goes on and on and opening its borders and opening their People's, their hearts to uh, to Ukraine. So I really want to, my, my message is, is, is just to say thank you. Um, we all have to come together on this uh, to support Poland, support Romania, support other countries who are taking refugees, uh, but also to, to help take those refugees ourselves. And so Poland has come through for Ukraine for many years, uh, uh, been an advocate in the EU and NATO. Um, so um, so to my message to, to Polish Canadians, to people in Poland is, is, is Hi, I'm Nadia Monchak. I'm part of the Infolinia Canada team. Join us to help respond to the needs of seniors, create opportunities for seniors to engage in social activities, and bring generations together. You can reach us at 438 2300530@infolinia.canada@gmail.com Please help Ukraine and Ukrainians in their struggle for freedom and peace. On Polcast Facebook page, we post articles about Poland in English. As you may expect, 99% of those are now about Poland and Ukraine. Let me also take this opportunity to thank all Polcast listeners and all the kind donors. I love you all. For a lot of additional information, multimedia links, please visit Polcast website at mypolcast.com. And while you're there, please share your comments, your reactions, and, sh- suggest I- and suggest ideas. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to rate this episode on your favorite podcast app. And now I leave you with a special tribute to Ukraine. Katie Carr, whom we featured on podcast in episode four, is a Polish-British singer, musician, songwriter, and aviator. Katie is famous for singing about Polish history. Now she is deeply moved by the war in Ukraine. This recording comes from her Facebook Live, where she talks about her feelings for Ukraine and dedicates a very famous song, which all of us Poles know very well, to Ukrainian men and women fighting for their country.
everybody. Um, I'm here in London. We're absolutely devastated about the Ukrainian situation and just wanted to say that we are thinking of everybody in the Ukraine. We stand by the Ukraine and um, we're not tolerating this horrific theft of a country to happen. We can't just have a dictator go into a country and steal the country. It's absolutely vile in every sense. And propaganda in Russia is saying that Ukraine provoked Russia. It's absolute rubbish. But, you know, people of Polish origin do know how many lies and deceptive lies that the KGB and the NKVD said for many, many years because it was under communist rule or totalitarian communism for over half a century. British people and people in the West don't know much about the Molotov-Ribbentrop Agreement, for instance, that was signed seven days prior to the Second World War on the 23rd of August 1939. And it was a pact that basically split Poland into slavery, half for Germany, half for the Soviet Union. You see, Putin actually sees Stalin as the great man. And uh, Stalin was a brutal murderer and a psychopath. So when it comes to this situation, there is no difference between Putin and Stalin. He is exactly the same. He won't even build a museum for Gulag victims. 350 million Russians, 2 million Poles were murdered in the Gulags across Russia. But no, there is not a chance in hell that Putin is going to make a museum for Gulag victims. Horrific. Because he just wants to rewrite history um, and that's why it's really important that we talk about these things because it's happening exactly the same thing is happening right now in Ukraine. I wanted to do something today to remember my friends and my family in the Ukraine. So I'm going to um, sing Hey Sokori. Um, it was a po written by a Polish-Ukrainian um, composer. It's a beautiful song that the Polish soldiers sang in the um, Polish-Soviet War in 1919 to 1921. And in that war, there was a battle called Sudnad um where the Poles stopped the Bolsheviks from entering Europe. So I, I see this song as a very, very important historical song. And has it has beautiful lyrics. And we're thinking about you. We love you, Ukraine. You are our sisters and our brothers. And we are linked in so many ways in history, in culture, so many things. It's impossible for me to sit here and do nothing. So I have my weapon here, which is music. And um, I'm going to play and sing this song. Hey, Sakari. I think it's important that know that even artists we can make a difference and we can fly that Ukraine flag.